You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors and add blocks, no custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. That's bluehost.com slash wondersuite. And welcome to the Sports Media Watch podcast. It is the post-Super Bowl edition. And today we'll be talking with the great Bill Shea of The Athletic about the big game, the ratings, and more. I'm joined again by Drew Lerner, who's helping me out as we have the new version of the podcast. This is episode two of the uh, rebooted Sports Media Watch podcast. And uh, if you have not already, you're going to need to resubscribe. So if you subscribed to the old version of the podcast with me and TJ Reeves, that's a different podcast entirely now. So you're going to have to resubscribe to get me and my insights about the ratings each week. Uh, you can easily find links to the podcast, the the new current version of it on sportsmediawatch.com on the homepage and in the, in the menu. And uh, you can subscribe to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, uh, Stitcher, and more. Uh, even Amazon Music. So there's plenty of opportunities. But uh, why don't we go ahead and dig right into uh, the big topic, which is, of course, the Super Bowl. 113 million viewers for the broadcast on Sunday, the Chiefs defeating the Eagles on Fox. I'm a little bit confused right now as to the number in terms of Fox said that their streaming audience was 7 million. They cited Adobe Analytics in their press release. I assumed that would be a viewership number on top of the Nielsen-issued number. But the Nielsen-issued number seems to be the one that includes streaming, uh, which is about 113 million. So that's the Nielsen number alone. I don't know if that 7 million that Fox is citing is Adobe Analytics and separate from Nielsen or if it is incorporated within the Nielsen figure. Either way, uh, to get back over 100 million, comfortably over 100 million is a success story although obviously out of home provides a pretty big caveat. So one of the things that I saw uh, right before Fox put out this year's number was the out of home breakdown from the past two years. And it was pretty surprising to me. 
because out of home viewing was much bigger of a factor the past two years than I thought. And as a result, the in-home audience was pretty low by a Super Bowl standard, under 80 million. So basically, you know, the 70 million range, like the series finale of Seinfeld or something. Uh, a bit surprising to me because we know the Super Bowl is bigger than anything. So that in-home audience that is most directly comparable to what we have seen in the past, it's gotten to a pretty low point. Luckily for the NFL and Fox, they've got all these other numbers to add in. Uh, let's bring in Drew. Hey, John, and uh, thank you. Happy Super Bowl Tuesday, if if we want to call it that. A uh, couple days removed from the Super Bowl now. I thought it was a game that delivered, a, a broadcast that also delivered. But I'd like to dig in a little bit more to, to those out-of-home numbers, uh, as you were mentioning. Did the breakdown of out-of-home versus in-home viewing surprise you um, in any way for this Super Bowl? Well, I haven't seen the breakdown yet. And I'm okay. very curious to see what it will be because ultimately last couple of years, the overall audience was 95, 99 million, but the in-home audience was again under 80. So with uh, with the Nielsen audience of, of 112 million, right? To me, that, that, in, that in-home audience is going to still be massive. But if you had 22 million out-of-home viewers last year, I think you're going to have even more this year. So if you're talking about 25 million out of home viewers, which is probably on the low end, out of that, you know, 112 million, you're talking about something that's uh, still on the lower end compared to that in-home audience of the past of what we've seen. So out of home is making a big difference. So this is a great time to bring in our guest today, the great Bill Shea of The Athletic. And uh, Bill is someone who, if you've read his work in The Athletic, talks about TV ratings all the time. So this Super Bowl audience, 113 million viewers, and that's just Nielsen alone, uh, which is surprising to me because I assumed that the streaming audience would be in addition to, not included with. Uh, obviously a big success story for Fox, but I'm curious what your view is on uh was it you know beyond your expectations because it was certainly beyond mine yeah i i had guessed around 112 million um for this game um and as as you well know it's really hard it's kind of like sports gambling um what what is the final number going to be i mean the super bowl is always a big number but in the last few years as as we have seen um things can vary wildly um beyond the the normal drivers of of viewership, you know, if last night's game was 45 to nothing at the half, you know, that number was probably going to be lower, even with the built in stuff like, you know, the halftime show and the commercials that, that draw in the, the casual and non fans. Um, but we had a, a, a great game. I wouldn't have been shocked if it was even even higher, um, partially just because of things being so chaotic in in the industry even with live sports um but also you know the, the slicing and dicing of viewership numbers is so chaotic as well um what's measured by nielsen what's not what does the network say that it's you know private digital numbers are going to be um so it's you know and, and and as we know you know nielsen's is highly educated guesswork based on you know extrapolations from their panels um 
So at, at the end of the day, we actually have no idea how many people really watched the Super Bowl, but we know it was a lot. Um, it, that'll be the biggest number for the year on TV. Um, but yeah, yeah, I wouldn't have been shocked if it was a little higher. It, much lower, I would have absolutely been surprised because I, I think we're kind of back to normal for the Super Bowls, despite everything going on. Um, so that that figure fell solidly within my expectations. You know, it's interesting. I, I had taken a look at the out-of-home breakdown from the previous two years, right? And uh, last year's Super Bowl had 99 million viewers on linear TV, but that out-of-home audience was so big, if you took it out, it was 78 million or you know, something like that. The kind of number that pre-COVID for a Super Bowl would have been really shocking to a lot of people. Previous year's Super Bowl, uh, 95 million on linear and then an out-of-home audience uh, that, if you take it out, the game's at like 79 million. So again, two straight years under 80 million. And, you know, obviously that's not the real number. The real number is with out-of-home. But if you're comparing to the past, that number all the way up until, you know, 2016 was entirely in-home. And even as recently as 2020 was still in-home with out-of-home tacked on separately. Do you think it matters at all? that that in-home audience has gotten to, you know, a point that would have been shockingly low a decade ago or even five years ago. Yeah, I, I think it's an important, all of them are important numbers. And, and it comes down to how are you monetizing, um, you know, the, the networks or tech giants or, you know, the, the leagues or teams or whatever. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it, they're getting more sophisticated in their ability to measure things like out of home, which I, th I think is still more art than science. Um, Cause I know we, you know, with the, the Nielsen, you know, the audio signal embedded in the broadcast, but if you have 50 TVs at Buffalo wild wings all next to each other and a bunch of people with wearing PPMs, uh, how do you really know who's watching? Um, you know, and, and there is obviously a lot of debate about the value of, of out of home. You know, when I met, the bar eating chicken wings and drinking scotch or whatever how, how much am i paying attention to the game even when it's appointment television like the super bowl versus how much i'm talking to somebody or wiping barbecue sauce of my you know which I, those things happen at home as well i not i'm even less likely to watch commercials when i'm in an out-of-home setting um with, with more people to talk to obviously you know at home you know where there's the you know with it was just me and my wife and the cat i was paying attention to the commercials because i was writing about it um and talking to my kids about it too um and i i think out of home will ultimately figure out the importance of that number once we come out of the other side of whatever the new normal is going to look like for measurement i know neil we we now have the nielsen one that's being rolled out as sort of the unified statistic from them and there's the ongoing fight i think what cbs was leading it to like replace nielsen and entirely which is a hugely expensive proposition um to say the least um but you know and, and with the, the cord cutting and and the rise of all the various streamers and, and, you know, the disastrous financial streaming wars and things like that. Um, I think it's too early to, to say right now, 
the value of that number? Obviously, from a boasting standpoint, everybody's like, yeah, we got a billion people watching and and that sort of thing. Um, so, you know, there, there's that sort of uh, pride element that that not, those out of home numbers are going to be baked into everything we see with live sports. Um, that's just how the game is played. And, and people like me who write about it and, and, and you constantly have to put in that context uh you know prior to 2020 um nielsen blah 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 um you know without even getting into undercounting and and things like that um but i i think that it will be a big part of um coverage um and analysis of viewership for a long long time to come and until we get to the point of where we just plug our brains into whatever tesla monitoring machine we end up with one day that just gives away all of the, the our private details of what we watch but um that's kind of my view on it right now yeah it's uh it's an interesting time in the industry because nielsen keeps trying to find all these different ways to you know assure the networks that the numbers are accurate the networks are doing their own calculations and you mentioned, you know, all the tracking. Amazon certainly can track us very, very, uh, you know, intensely. And they found in their Thursday Night Football estimates a higher number than Nielsen did. And uh, according to a report last week, and I think it was Advertising Week or Advertising Age, um, they're unhappy about their relationship with Nielsen, right? They That was their first go-around with Nielsen. Uh, and Nielsen undercounted them. I mean, if you were to assume that they were correct, by maybe one, two million viewers per game, not a small number. Do you think we're going to get to a point? I mean, all the networks need Nielsen as a common currency, but do you think we'll get to a point where that need for a common currency falls by the wayside and they just say, hey, we have our numbers. Here's our methodology. We're going to report our numbers. It's so hard to say because, you know, Amazon and, and Apple know how many people are watching a piece of program that's streamed through their equipment that's their programming that you know they have created or have the rights to you know and as you well know the problem is Amazon and Apple and others don't know who is watching um, and it really comes down to advertiser preferences if you just want the most eyeballs possible and you're a company with the financial flexibility to do it you'll advertise in the Super Bowl, you know, you'll spend that 7 million bucks for 30 seconds just to get the sheer number. If you have a product or service you want to gear towards um, young women or, you know, middle-aged Hispanic men or people making a certain amount of money, Nielsen remains the currency of the industry because they have the panels that provide that data for extrapolation for, for different demographics. And as long as advertisers are looking for those, you know, the, the pie to be sliced and diced, um, that's going to remain with us for a long time to come, unless all of a sudden we all decide we're going to give Amazon, Jeff Bezos, all of our demographic data. Um, they've already got a bunch of it. But again, you know, how many people are sitting down in your living room to watch a piece of programming, especially like the Super Bowl, where it's super monetized? Um and but you know brand x wants to know still who's watching who's you know what's my roi on this for whatever i'm whoever i'm trying to sell my my widget to um and so in, until we surrender as a society all of the data that nielsen already collects by those panels and you know and the use of the portable people meters 
I don't, I don't know how you replicate it. And I know Amazon has a lot of it. They, you know, I've been an Amazon prime subscriber since like 2011 or, or maybe even sooner than that. And eBay, I think 99. Um, so that, you know, they have some demo data they certainly know what kind of junk I like to buy. Um, but income, you know, do they, you know, I, I assume they know how old I am, but, and there's a lot of people that don't want to give out that information any more than they have. Um, so there's going to be a real tension there for a long time, but in, until you can provide that data or until the advertisers don't need it, I, I think the system as is continues for a long time to come. Yeah. That's an excellent point that you make uh, because ultimately what's the biggest, you know, accomplishment for Amazon in year one, it wasn't their average audience. It was their success in 18 to 34 and the ability to compare that 18 to 34 audience to the same audience on the other networks. That's where they're going to be, uh, you know, having their most success selling space next season. So, uh, Let's move a little bit away from ratings before we let you go and talk about the Super Bowl broadcast itself. A lot of criticism aimed toward Terry Bradshaw for his, you know, uh, some of the references to Andy Reid's weight during the post game. Uh, people have been critical of Terry all season long in some ways that are pretty unfair. He's an older man battling cancer. He's not going to have the same level of energy that he's always had. What are your thoughts about what Fox might do just two years from now? When it has the Super Bowl again, do you think they might at that point, maybe that's Terry's last go round or do you think uh, they'll they'll continue with the status quo? You know, I, I think it might be, you know, and, and a lot of this is obviously predicated on his health and, and what he wants to do um, you know, for a little bit. I mean, Terry's highly successful at football and his long broadcasting career. Um, you know, you still run into people, young people that don't know he was quarterback of four Super Bowls for the Steelers um, a million years ago. Um, I think he's probably earned the right to decide when he walks away. Um, you know, if if gaffes and things keep mounting, um, you know, maybe there's a nudge out the door, um, you know, and, and some of these guys on there are getting up, you know, long in the tooth, 70s, pushing pushing 80 in, in some of the cases, um, you know, and that's, and some people are great, you know, it, 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 you know, the years don't matter. Um, and some people it does, uh, two years is a long time from now. Uh, but I would not be shocked if that's his last, last Super Bowl, depending a lot on what happens between now and then, but yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it, the jokes that would have flown in 1980 or 90 or even 2000, are not going to fly today, particularly if you're looking for younger demographics, which tend to be more progressive on a lot of issues. Um, and when we, when everyone can react in real time on Twitter, you know, it's not a 24 hour news cycle anymore where, you know, RW Apple at the New York times writes some scathing media criticism column um, 30 years ago. It's, we're not going to see that. It's a, a hundred thousand people, you know, calling something out immediately, especially at that scale with that sort of audience. I mean, you were under all of the microscopes and all of the biggest ones um, with the Super Bowl. So there's, there's very little margin for air and it is live television, you know, even with, you know, what do they have a seven second drop or whatever? Um, you know, they're, they weren't going to to drop on making the, the jokes that he did with with Andy Reid. Um, and, I, and I didn't even see Andy's reaction. I don't, I don't know if he's addressed it at all or even even cares um but yeah that's that's the sort of stuff that 30 40 years ago you know nobody better than i today they do um 
So that's just the, the state of things. And I think overall, that's probably a good thing for television. Yeah, you know, you make the point about Andy Reid. Andy Reid probably wasn't offended, but of course, that's not, you know, that's not the big issue for Fox. The big issue is all the viewers. Uh, it probably will be Terry's last Super Bowl if for no other reason. Fox doesn't have another one after uh, 2025, I guess, for four years. So that's that's a lot to ask for. I, I will say um, on, on the Terry Bradshaw thing, it, was, it seemed to be a bit of a perplexing decision by Fox, who, you know, has plenty of other options to do that trophy presentation that they didn't go with one of the safer options. Wait, why not just go with Burkhart or why not just go with one of the many panelists that, that they have at their disposal, Aaron Andrews, Tom Rinaldi, those would have all been great options for Fox. And yet they went with Bradshaw, which it's been well-documented. He's had his fair share of gaffes this year. Yeah, and, and if you're going to go crazy, and this is, you know, obviously in the realm of fantasy because different networks, but if you're kind of looking and networks occasionally do for the potential for somebody to say something that's not going to run a follow of the FCC, but is going to get headlines and you enjoy that sort of thing, which Fox Network does, um, get Charles Barkley out there to to present the trophy. Somebody who's like got a reputation for just doing wild stuff. I love that sort of TV. I love what Charles does and says sometimes. Um, I, it's not everybody's cup of tea, but either lean into it or go safe. Like pick, pick a lane and, and stick in it. Well, let me ask you just off of that. Charles says stuff that's just as offensive as Terry Bradshaw does, but everyone loves Charles. So do you what, what accounts for that? Do you think it's just Charles has this magnetic ability that people gravitate toward him. We all know he's a good guy and we give him this kind of this discount where we just assume, even if he says something objectionable, well, he doesn't really mean it. And he comes from the right place in terms of his heart. Do you think, I mean, how much longer, one, do you think that's true? And two, how much longer before, you know, re before gravity catches up to him in that way? I, I, I think Charles has built up a lot of goodwill and understanding this is who he is and has, you know, even as a player going, going way back into the day, um, you know, he spoke his mind and he often was funny and, and comedians and, and part of his style is, is being a type of comedian um, with extreme experience and, and knowledge, but he's got that TV presence. Whereas Terry Bradshaw is sort of a different, you know, he's sort of a, you know, plays this kind of hayseed um, yokel, at times, and it, it's a different kind of humor. I don't think he's as often making cultural commentary, um, or Charles does, and he's coming from a different place, different life experience, things like that, a different, a different league. Um, you know, and NFL quarterbacks for a very long time were basically off the shelf. You know, white milk drinking church on Sunday. You know, just that was who the you know your Len Dawson's and Bart Stars and. Joe Monte was the kind of the same guy over and over and over with. Um, and there's plenty of room for, for, you know, the Charles Barkley's who have different life experiences to say things. And he's, he's often funny and that will buy, you know, and I, I don't think he's done anything, you know, to get himself as they would say canceled today. Um, you know, and, and, you know, the NFL and the Super Bowl much bigger platforms as well, a whole lot more people watching than, you know, are watching NBA um, you know, shoulder programming and, and things like that. Um, but yeah, I would, I would love to see Chuck call the Super Bowl. Yeah. I will say, I can think right off the top of my head of like 
five, six different things Charles has said that would get somebody else thrown out on the air. You know, the joke <laughs> about the clock being on the stove. Do you know that joke they used to tell? Uh, uh, I, it's been a long time. Pro yeah. I probably heard it. I probably shouldn't repeat it because Charles can get away with saying it. I'm not even sure I can get away with repeating Charles's <laughs> joke. But, you know, uh, I, I think it is an interesting idea. I think everyone would love to have Charles in that position. I do think if you're a guy like Terry Bradshaw, you know, you might say to yourself, well, you know, hey, I'm, I'm pretty funny, too. Why, why, why can't people accept my joke? But I think the thing is the difference. Terry does come off a little bit more mean spirited than Charles does. Charles doesn't come off mean spirited even when he's actively being mean spirited, which he has on occasion been. But uh, interesting conversation. Um, let's see. We have uh, maybe about five more minutes left uh, with you if you if if you've got the time. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So uh, we've talked about the ratings of the Super Bowl. We've talked about some of the coverage, but we haven't talked about obviously the biggest aspect of the Fox coverage: the debut of Greg Olson and Kevin Burkhart in that role. And Olson, obviously, we know has kind of. Uh, you know, a, a closing time on his role, which is when Tom Brady starts. Do you think that being in the position that he's in, which is he's only got the job until Tom Brady comes in, do you think that is one of the reasons why Olsen was so good on Sunday? Because there's no pressure, uh, you know, and the whole situation he's in is a little humbling. He's not going to have his ego run amok like Tony Romo might have. Yeah, no, that's a really interesting question. Um, you know, it, it, there is obviously the specter of Tom Brady looming over everything. Uh, that said, we don't know what Tom Brady will be like doing the ins and outs, the grind of, of broadcasting. The public often doesn't see how much work goes in to these roles. You know, I, I've been in press boxes, you know, since I was a teenager and just the amount of, of work, you know, even for the on-air talent, just having to know every guy on the, it's just, you know, it's, it's a pros pro out there and the best of the best, uh, you know, fingers crossed, get, get to the top. Um, I wasn't paying attention to the X's and O's of the broadcast booth. I was aware that it was a different booth um, and, and the talent that was in there. But my biggest takeaway from it was I didn't really notice and I think that is one of the most important things. There wasn't a series of miscues or weird moments and things like that that took away from the broadcast. Uh, you know, obviously, the, and, and I'm not a huge believer that the, the whoever's populating the broadcast booth is much of a driver for viewership. It's definitely a driver for comment sections and Twitter and and media columnists and things and the people interested in that. But when you get to the top, generally these men and women are so very good at their jobs. They've paid their dues, uh, hopefully. And, and you just don't notice them unless it's hopefully like, you know, do you believe in miracles? Yes. You know, I heard that as a little kid um, live um, and, and it stuck with me. You, those things you remember, or if somebody makes just an absolutely terrible mistake, or if it's some news thing, you know, uh, um, you know, John Lennon's death being announced during Monday Night Football by Howard Cosell, um, who was not a great X's and O's announcer um there have been some real humdingers i think in the in the booths um but the, the super bowl broadcast they weren't the show they were not noticeable they were total professionals i thought it came off 
smoothly. Um, they had all sorts of opportunities to handle, um, you know, key moments, big plays, officiating stuff that was clearly a big part of the game. And I, I thought they were just fine and Fox and everybody should be happy with them. But for the Tom Brady thing, I'm real interested to see by the time we get to a Super Bowl when he's with the team, um, you know, is, is this a long-term thing? Is he a Terry Bradshaw that's on the air for the next 40 years um, or however long it may be, or, you know, does he get bored with it? Um, does he not want to put in the incredible amount of work? You know, it's, it, it's a whole, t it's a whole different TB 12 up there, you know, and he's, he knows all about doing the homework and the film study and things like that. So, um, but once that camera, once that red lights on and, you know, you were the focus with one or two other people in the booth, it's a different thing. It's, it's not the same as being a quarterback. Um, so I'm I'm really keen to see how that plays out. And Fox has a lot of money invested in him, so we shall see. Yeah, that's a perfect place to end things. Uh, thank you so much, Bill, for your time today. It's a great sure. conversation as usual, and uh, we really appreciate you coming on. We'll have you back on sometime soon. Thanks. Always appreciate it. Always a good time. Take care. All right. You too. Thanks, Bill. Thanks. Always great to talk to the great Bill Shea. And uh, now we're going to wrap things up with our quick hit segment. So I'll turn it over to Drew and let's get started. All right, John. First up, we have the NBA on NBC. Do we think that NBC will be able to land a, a rights deal with the NBA during the upcoming negotiations? And additionally to that, we know there's been some drama with um, Turner Sports and whether or not they will retain their rights. Do you think it would be an additional package, a third national package for the NBA, or would they take from what is currently available on TNT and ESPN? I think it'll be a third package. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's going to be interesting because, you know, ESPN is going to re-up during its exclusive negotiating window if it's able to. Turner probably won't. I, I Well, I can't say probably, but I'd be shocked if Turner did. First of all, I think the NBA needs to get more than just its two existing partners in order to reach the goals that it has financially. So, uh, you know, it's going to go to the open market, but I do think Turner is going to hold on to its package, uh, a reduced package, and NBC will come in. Uh, maybe it'll be more than just NBC, ESPN, and Turner, you know. Uh, maybe there'll be Amazon in there, Apple. Baseball has a million different partners, and uh, certainly the NBA is uh, – you know, a more attractive property in terms of the demographics it brings in. So uh, I do think NBC has a very strong chance to get the NBA back. Um, and, uh, you know, it's not going to be the NBA and NBC. The NBA and NBC was 1990 to 2002. It's going to be NBA games and NBC, but it's it'll be like the baseball. You know, uh, NBC is going to air another baseball game this year, simulcasting with Peacock. But it's not Vin Scully and, you know, Joe Garagiola. Uh, it, it, it's it's just not the same, but uh, it'll be uh, nice to see. I mean, they, they, I can't imagine they're going to bring the NBA back and not have that theme music, although you never know. Uh, certainly, it'd be nice to have that theme on NBA games again. Yeah, definitely. And I'm sure the NBA has taken plenty of notes from the MLB's deals with the, the streamers, that there is a bit of an, an appetite for those, for those digital exclusive packages. Um, maybe not the most popular among fans, but... Uh, they they will watch. So anyway, well, let's move. You know, I mean, I was just going to say fans will find it anywhere. I mean, you don't hear too many people in St. Louis saying they didn't see Pujols' uh, 700th home run. It was on Apple TV. 
Uh, it didn't seem like there was a lot of complaining about that. Well, that one was impossible to miss with ESPN's cut-ins. But that's true. anyway, another baseball topic. That's a good segue. We maybe lost in, in a bit of the Super Bowl shuffle was uh, Fox's announcement of Derek Jeter being added to their broadcast team. What's your take? You know, I don't know. Uh, Fox is going after all these big names. Brady, obviously. A-Rod, even Pete Rose at one point. Jeter doesn't seem to have anything close to the charisma necessary. You know, I mean, he just doesn't. Now, A-Rod, as strange a guy as he can be, A-Rod's got charisma. He's he's loose in a way. He's able to, you know, for someone considered in such a negative way, he's able to kind of cut up a little bit. I don't know that we've ever seen Jeter do that. Kind of sounds a lot like uh, TNT getting Wayne Gretzky. And uh, Gretzky ultimately, you know, he, he doesn't seem to serve any purpose on that show. And I suspect Jeter might end up being the same way. Now, if you can play on that Jeter-A-Rod relationship, maybe you could get some interesting stuff. Yeah, I, I guess the question at that point is, does, does it even matter? Do you just want Derek Jeter on your network to say you have him? Or does, does he have to add something to the broadcast? Similar questions with Tom Brady. Of course, he'll be in the booth um, and Jeter will be studio, but... That is yet to be seen. All right, let's move on, John. And in another story, we have Michael Irvin, who is a bit embattled at the moment. Could you give us a quick explainer of what's happening with him? Yeah, it's one of the stranger sports media stories in a bit. Michael Irvin last week taken off of the NFL Network and ESPN Super Bowl, you know, coverage for the whole week, uh, based on an interaction he had with a staffer at a hotel. He got kicked out of the hotel. The hotel complained to the NFL. And uh, so far, there's no indication of any, you know, of anything that would warrant such extreme reactions. Now, let's be realistic. Would the Marriott, would ESPN, would NFL Network all take such drastic action if there was not obvious evidence of something? I mean, it's hard to believe that they would. But so far, the only voice we're hearing is Michael Irvin's, and the only evidence we're getting is people saying nothing appeared to happen. I think it's going to be pretty important. Maybe you can't go into the details of what happened, but to get some indication from somebody as to what went on here, because the only voice we're hearing is Michael Irvin's, and the only story that's getting backed up here is Michael Irvin's, and, uh, you know, it, it it's not great for PR because, you know, people will look at this kind of punishment for so far, something that has no, you know, there's, there's no evidence of anything yet. People are going to look at that and they're going to think some things because the reality of the matter is Michael Irvin, you know, he's an African-American man. And uh, we know that sometimes African-American men are punished for things they didn't do. Now I'm not saying that's what happened in this situation, but you know, you, you got to, somebody has got to give us some indication of the seriousness of what Michael Irvin allegedly did to fill this vacuum. Because the only voice we're hearing is Michael Irvin's and the only stories getting backed up right now is Michael Irvin's. And I, I don't think it uh, makes ESPN, the NFL, NFL Network or Marriott look good. Of course, that's depending on why this all happened because Michael Irvin's voice is the only one I'm hearing. But the actions of ESPN and the NFL and Marriott are so extreme, it's really hard for me to believe that they would do something so extreme on the basis of what we know right now.
Yeah, certainly a, a strange, strange situation all around. Okay, John, we have a couple more here. Let's go on to LSU and South Carolina women's college basketball, the most watched women's college basketball game since 2010 on Super Bowl Sunday. Why do you think that number was so high? Well, I think, you know, women's college basketball is having a pretty good year. This is the second game of the season to have a million viewers. Uh, you know, that Super Bowl Sunday window, it's kind of open. Uh, a lot of people don't program opposite the Super Bowl pregame show. And, uh, you know, the NBA game, Grizzly Celtics, you know, that's not that formidable. Uh, so, you know, there's some audience available. I think it did a, a tremendous number, way more than I was expecting. I thought it would do well, but it's a women's college basketball game in the regular season on cable that, you know, usually you're not even talking a million viewers for that. I think 800,000 would have been a number to celebrate. So 1.5 million is pretty amazing. And, uh, you know, there's, there is some evidence that people are really starting to be interested in women's college basketball at a level they have not been. Uh, I'll be interested to see if that carries over into the WNBA, but uh, certainly as the WNBA season approaches in a few months, it it's worth noting there is audience for women's college basketball. There is audience for women's basketball in this country. So I, I think that puts a little bit of the pressure on the WNBA too, to uh, start drawing a lot better than it has been. Yeah, the other interesting dynamic here is will the NCAA carve out that women's college basketball tournament into the the new rights negotiations? Um, will someone want that as a standalone property? That's that's going to be an ongoing story with women's college basketball as well. Yeah. All right. Well, I just wanted to quickly jump in there. The reality of the matter is there's a lot of folks who will say it's the right thing to do. Doesn't even matter. Doesn't even matter that it's the right thing to do. It's it's the smart thing to do financially. This isn't going to be doing it out of the kindness of their hearts. It's going to be, we could get a lot of money for this. And it's a valuable property. It's not the same as the men's tournament. It doesn't have to be. This is something that will get you, you know, very strong numbers by cable standards for three weeks. It's certainly worth uh, breaking out into its own deal. And I think there'll be suitors for it. It's a great benefit to ESPN to have that tournament. They get locked out of the men's tournament, but they at least have the women's tournament. And if you're Fox, you know, if you're, well, you know, Fox is the one that comes to mind the most. I mean, FS1 could use something like that. They've they've got a decent number of women's games. In fact, one of those games with over a million viewers was on Fox this year. So Fox Sports, I think, should get into the mix for that. Yeah, definitely. Lots to unpack in that story. And of course, it, that could have impacts across all of college sports if you carve that out of the rest of the that rights deal. All right, final topic here we have live golf on the cw this has clearly been a, a very interesting story to follow um the, these past few months live has actually gotten the rights to air their broadcasts from 1 p.m to 6 p.m on saturday and sunday on all cw affiliates and an, an additional few in certain markets um it will not be on the cw it'll be on a cw or a new a news or next star, excuse me, owned affiliates. John, uh, this brings up a few questions for me as, you know, as a golf fan. One, you know, Liv has released their schedule and approximately half of their events will be abroad. So this kind of brings the question to me, will they be airing that live or will it be in that tape delay window and aired 1 p.m. to 6 p.m. no matter what? Um, B, is, is there going to be any meaningful audience here? Yeah, that's a good, both good questions. The reality of the matter is that, you know, I mean, 
I would imagine it's going to have to be tape delayed at some point because they said 1 to 6 p.m. Maybe that's not a strict thing, but most of these events are overseas. So, you know, if they're saying 1 to 6 p.m. and it's only going to be a handful of tournaments here in this country, I don't know that that can work. Um, you know, meaningful audience. I doubt it. It'll be brought, it's broadcast TV, but it's a network, you know, and it's like the, it's not only like the UPN and the W, the WB, it is the U, uh, UPN and the WB. That's what the CW is. It's UPN and the WB combined because neither of those networks should stand on their own. Uh, people don't, I don't even know what my CW affiliate is, in, you know, in terms of the number. I know the numbers are the big four. I don't know the number for the CW and I doubt that people who are, you know, looking for golf are going to go through all that trouble to find their CW affiliate when, you know, they can just wait a couple of hours and watch the PGA tour on regular channels. I, I think, you know, when you were, you were, you were saying next star before and you almost said news nation, right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and that actually kind of made me think news nation would be a better fit for this, wouldn't it? Because it is, even though it's a news channel, it's an older skewing kind of property in that way. And certainly something older people would be more used to tuning into than the CW. Yeah, you're certainly right. And I know in the past that you've mentioned Fox Business, actually, it would have been a pretty good landing spot for Liv. And I agree, just given the demographics that watch that channel, that might be more their audience. Of course, Liv has said that they want to appeal to a younger audience and, you know, get that 18 to 34 demo. But I don't know if that demo is really the ones tuning into the CW in the first place, um, or at least looking for golf on the CW. I do think this actually um, opens up a question for other live sports properties on similar um, network, local network affiliates like the CW, like ION, as it's been reported that these, these types of channels would like to get into live sports yeah. programming. I don't think Liv will be the one to break through and, and make that a success, but I do think there are sports properties that could be successful on those channels. Yeah. I mean, there's so many neat sports that, you know, people just need to know where this is and they'll tune in. And it's not something like Live where you're chasing the PGA tour. It's, this is it. John, do you have anything to close us out with? Yeah, you know, I uh, just wanted to make note of uh, the New York Times needlessly bringing up the Larry Nassar scandal and its coverage of the Michigan State shooting, which just, uh, you know, came off as really low class. They did that same thing to Florida State, uh, bringing up Jameis when there was a, a mass shooting attempt there a few years ago. Uh, I was also reading, I didn't see this myself, so I don't know if it's true, but I was also reading that they had done something similar with the shooting in Charlottesville. It's obviously not something that any individual writer is deciding to do. This is just modus operandi for the times is if something tragic happens at a school, they will dredge up every scandal needlessly that has ever happened there. Uh, and I, I think that's a really crummy way to do things. And they would probably be well advised over there at the times to not do that kind of thing. So I just wanted to uh, mention that. Yeah, certainly um, something that has been a bit of a trend at the times. And, um, you know, I'm glad you brought that up because that is an important story today. All right, John, thank you very much. This is a great episode. Thanks again to Bill Shea for joining us and giving us his Super Bowl insights. Um, John, close us out.
yeah another uh, another week this is the first uh week of the podcast in its normal tuesday wednesday window we'll be back here next week talking about the nba all-star game numbers and the day 2500 but uh, other than that we will see you in seven days enjoy the first football free weekend with apologies to the xfl since august you know how to book flights and hotels all you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive that's why you need viator book guided tours excursions and more in one place there are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from so you can find something for everyone and viator offers free cancellation and 24 7 customer support for worry free travel download the viator app now and use code viator 10 for 10 percent off your first booking in the app find travel experiences for you do more with viator when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.